Hey friends, it's your host Lara. If you haven't already heard, I have some cool news to share with y'all. I am the new archivist at the Black Archives of Mid America. It's located down in the Daz, um, try that again, Jazz District in Kansas City, Missouri, and the nonprofit collects, promotes, and preserves Black history from Kansas City and in the surrounding area, but. Mostly Kansas City is our focus. Um, today was my first day on the job. It is September 25th, 2023. I am really excited to be there. Um, there's going to be a lot of work. Um, there's a lot to be accessioned and organized, but I am ready to dig in. Um, so to celebrate this momentous occasion, I have decided to release this conversation that I had with Dr. Karma back in February of 2020, before the world ended, um, to all of you. And um, it will remain available to everyone in perpetuity. Thus far, it has been a Patreon exclusive. So if you enjoy this, then I hope that you will consider becoming a patron and then you can have access to other cool conversations like this one. All right, hope y'all enjoy it. Hello listeners, this is episode 2 of Homegrown KC's Patreon. Homegrown KC is a podcast dedicated to exploring Kansas City's history and sharing stories from its rich past. This is Black History Month and joining me today is Dr. Carmeletta Williams, Director of the Black Archives of Mid-America. Welcome Dr. Karma, thank you for joining us today. Welcome for the Thank you for the invitation. It's nice to have you here at the Black Archives. Well, um... Let's start off with, tell us about yourself. How did you become the director of the archives? Oh, um, I got a phone call. <laughs> I uh, retired from Johnson County Community College. I taught English and African American studies there for almost 30 years. Then I went to China, taught for a year, uh, came back. My son and I opened a publishing house, uh, which has been very successful. And then I got a call, Dr. Karma, this is a 911 call. <laughs> and uh, usually when I got those calls after we opened the publishing house, it was somebody wanting us to help them with funeral obituaries or programs or that kind of thing. And so I said, oh, I'm so sorry, who who died? And they said, oh, nobody died. I'm like, then why is this a 911 call? And he said, because the Black Archives is in chaos and we need you to come and uh, run it for us to fix it for us. So do you still have your publishing house? I do. I do. It's Williams Publishing Group, LLC. And uh, what kind of stuff do you publish? You mentioned obituaries. Well, that's not our prime. Uh, we do books. Okay. Uh, I have two children's books. My son has an urban literature book, which was actually reviewed in a prestigious African-American review. Congrats. Uh, and said it set the bar for urban lit. Wow. And then we have some other uh, writers that we publish. Uh, Pella McDaniels, for example, we published his last book, and, um, and other writers, children's books, and then some academic books. Okay. Um, 
So, why did the Black Archives call you? Did were you already involved in the archives? No, and and I was surprised, and that's what I asked them. You know, why me? And they said, well, your name was the only one that kept coming up, <laughs> and that came up. And I'm like, I'm not naive. There are five hundred thousand people in Kansas City proper, and I know that my name was not the only one. And they said, "Well, yours was the only one that kept coming up." Okay. So I think for some reason um, they thought I could do it. Dr. Marge Williams uh, was the one who suggested me, and then the board um, bought into that. All right. Well, tell us about the archive then. What is your mission here? Our mission is to collect, preserve, and share all of those artifacts and documents that go to create African-American culture. And it was started 45 years ago by uh, Horace Peterson. And even when he was in middle and high school, they were junior highs then, uh, he was telling his friends that he was going to start a black museum. Hmm. And they were going like, who wants that? Why are you going to do that? You're never going to make any money. But he wasn't deterred, and he started collecting buttons and brochures and storing them in the trunk of his car. And uh, this building is actually, the way I count it, the fifth. Uh, Black Archive Repository. Okay. The first was the trunk of his car. The second was at the YMCA on 18th and Paseo. He rented an apartment after that. And then after desegregation, then he was able to obtain the uh, Black uh, Firehouse down the street at 2033 Vine Firehouse number 11. And Horace Peterson didn't live to see this building. Um, but what I've heard from his friends, he would be very proud. He sounds very dedicated and entrepreneurial. Yes, yes. We have made um, two videos. One is a promo video, and then the other is A Living Legacy, Horace Peterson and the Making of the Black Archives. And in that video, people who worked with him, who knew him, who were involved with him, tell their stories about Horace and, and all the work that he did you okay. know, to make sure that there was a Black Archives. I watched your promotional video on your website. It was very nice. Oh, thank you. Um, is the other video on there as well? It's not yet. We showed it. We premiered it Saturday at our fundraising luncheon, okay. our Black History Month luncheon at UMKC. So uh, we haven't uploaded it yet. We're still trying to um, figure out the dynamics of that. Many people said, oh, I'd like to buy a copy of that. Well, mm-hmm. people tell you that, but then they don't come and buy it. Mm-hmm. So are we going to... We're opening a gift shop here in a week or so. So we're trying to make, um, to think about making DVDs of it and mm-hmm. selling them in, in the gift shop. Okay. And eventually we will post it online. And it's available to anybody who wants to come here to the archives and see it. Well, what um, artifacts do you all carry here? We have everything. Um, we have a military saddle. We have an old wheelchair from Wheatley Provident Hospital, which was established to equalize or to be an equalizing factor in black health care. We have trophies, statues. um, We have uh, Lucy's cabin, and Lucy was an enslaved woman in Trenton, Missouri. And Horace Peterson and Tillman Stewart found out about the cabin, that it still existed, and contacted her family who said, yeah, you can have it. And they took it apart and brought it here, and it's now downstairs in the exhibition hall.
Okay, so it's uh, been reconstructed then? It has been twice, once at 2033 Vine, and then when the archives moved into this building again here. And we partnered with the Equal Justice Initiative, um, the Community Remembrance Project. And so in that same area where Lucy's cabin is, we are going to have um, the Community Remembrance Project. We'll have 60 to 80 pedestals. Um, and what they do is they find out where people were victims of racial lynching. Okay. And they dig soil in that area, put it in a jar, and then put the victim's name on the jar. None of these people are anonymous. You know, we tend to think that lynchings take place, you know, under the cloak of darkness. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. And many lynchings were even written about in newspapers. Mm -hmm. So we know that information. We know who these people are. We know they had families. You know, they had lives. They had loves. And so we're going to take them out of anonymity into uh, this project. And it's going to be amazing. That sounds like a very powerful story to tell. It's wonderful. Yeah. It, it is a powerful story because when you think that, um, um, and there were many other people who were lynched, but we're just looking at people who were victims of racial lynching. And most people think all lynchings were people hung from trees. But they were hung from trees, from bridges, and a common form of lynching was to drag people behind your vehicle. Mm -hmm. So behind horses, behind trucks, until their bodies fell apart. Um, so we can't let those people be victimized and not recognize what happened to them. Mm -hmm. Well, do you have a favorite artifact in your collection? Um, I love them all. <laughs> you know, my, my life and my professional career has been built on, um, black, black life, black culture. You know, African-American studies, we look at history and art and music and, and literature and all of those things that go into making a culture. Mm -hmm. And this place embodies it all. We have, um, I tell the kids who come to visit, you know, when I show them the uh, ex exhibition about the golfers, you know, black people played golf before <laughs> Tiger Woods. And, you know, they can see how folks used to dress up and go to the ballpark for baseball games. Mm -hmm. And then there's Catherine B. Richardson, who was a little white lady. And in the picture, she looks very little. And she and her sister were on the board of Children's Mercy Hospital. And one day she stood up in the board meeting and said, I'm sick and tired of us treating kids from around the world, and we don't treat the Negro kids here in the city. So until you do, I'm not giving you another dime. Hmm. They integrated Children's Mercy Hospital that day. <laughs> so there was a book that came out this summer for all children everywhere that does that. And we've had a couple of film crews come in saying that they're doing documentaries. I haven't gotten it up, but an update from any of them. But, you know, those are important things for, you know, black Americans, especially black Kansas Cityans. Mm -hmm. So I love them all. <laughs> and uh, you have a uh, repository where people can come and do research, correct? We do. Uh, we have the archives at the Black Archives, and we have a research and reading room. So people who want to do research can should really make an appointment, <laughs> and come in, and we set you up in the research room and then bring you out the documents that you want. Mm -hmm. We put white gloves on you and make you sign a form. Okay. And then you can do research here, too. We've had researchers from Sweden, China, South Africa, all really? around this country. That's awesome. Yeah. There's a, Is there a, any other equivalent that you know of in America to the Black Archives? There are other black museums. 
There's the National African American Museum in uh, Washington, D.C. It just opened a few years ago? It just opened, yeah, a couple of years ago. And and there's the um, Schomburg Library of uh, African American Life and Culture in New York. I have heard of Schomburg, actually, now that you mention it. And DuSable in Chicago. DuSable I've not heard of. Uh, yeah, and it's in Chicago. It's an old, uh, it's been in existence a long time. So there are. Many, but we're the only one in the Midwest. Okay. And we're very proud of being here. And the archive sits in the middle of this historic jazz district. Um, I think the district is on the National Register, correct? It is. It is. It is the historic 18th and Vine Jazz District. And we sit um, right off of 18th Street. We're actually on 17th Terrace. So uh, if you go out the back door of the American Jazz Museum or the Negro Lakes Baseball Museum, you're six steps from our building. That's actually how I got here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a direct shot. And the uh, Urban Youth Academy shares the parking lot with us. And Greg Kleist Community Center is also in our circle back here. Do you, can you tell us a little bit about the history of the neighborhood and why this is significant that you're here? It is. This building used to be the parks maintenance building, and uh, they used to keep the horses in oh, this okay. building. And when I first took this job, they were telling me, "Well, the building smells pretty bad in the <laughs> summer." And uh, I was I started in November, and it didn't smell well then. So we had it checked. We bought lots of air freshener, and then it ended up that it was a problem with uh, drains in the bathrooms. Mm. So we had those fixed. Thank you, Parks and Recreation, Kansas City, Missouri. But we also realized that part of the problem is that men don't go to the bathroom as much as women. So they weren't being flushed, so the gas was coming out. Mm -hmm. So we fixed that. It doesn't stink anymore, and it, it fits the look. It's a beautiful place. And, and it's right in the urban core. Um, there's a fallacy, and I've seen it, I've heard it, and I've read it, that black people in Kansas City didn't live past 27th Street. That is not true. I am the fourth generation of people uh, raised on 55th Street in Kansas City. And it was a big community. Well, it wasn't a huge community. But there was a community of black folk there. And from 55th to 53rd, Prospect to Waldron, uh, were, was known as the 54th Street neighborhood. When I was doing research for my dissertation, I came to find the 55th Street's official name on the city plat is Black Street. Mm. 53rd Street's official name is Lynch. So somewhere within me, there's a book growing up between Black and Lynch. Okay. Um, and so we we did have, and then there was the Leeds neighborhood, Steptoe neighborhood, other black neighborhoods mm -hmm. around. So it wasn't as if all of black life in Kansas City was relegated to this area. Okay, It was dispersed all through the city. But 18th and Vine and 12, 18th Street and 12th Street were important to the black community. Most people know it for the jazz and the music, but also there were black business here. Mm -hmm. uh, there were barbers and beauticians and and shoe tailors and people who fixed shoes and uh, lawyers and doctors and nurses and all of those kinds of people had some kind of presence here in this area between 18th Street and, and 12th Street. 
and a little further south. So um, we know that there was a core of folk here. Mm -hmm. We know from the musicians that this was the place where they often got caught uh, in between gigs. There was a, a group called uh, the Theater Owners Booking Association, mm -hmm. known as TOBA. Uh, the black musicians called it Tough on Black Asses. <laughs> and they would get booked here. This would be their last stop. So until spring came and they got more bookings, then they would be stuck here in Kansas City. So they built a community here. Mm -hmm. uh, and Black Lincoln High School is up the street. And R.T. Coles was here. And those were the schools where black people could attend. And um, desegregation is not that far in our past. So when we look at black life in Kansas City, it's not that long ago that it was segregated. Mm -hmm. So, And we honor that. We honor that and we honor the number of uh, uh, black children who graduated from high school, the number of people who went on to college, the percentage of people who earned PhDs, which were all a lot higher than with uh, desegregation. So um, this is a way for us to honor that past and, and the building of that community. Well, it's funny you mentioned Lincoln High. I actually had a question about that. So I just listened to, there's another podcast that just started um, called A People's History of Kansas City. Mm. And they just did an episode on Lincoln High School. Wonderful. Um, have you heard about this at all? I haven't heard about the podcast. No. Okay, well, um, no, sorry, I was actually referring to uh, Lincoln High School. I should elaborate a little bit more. So um, at the end of the podcast, they talked about there's all these projects going around Kansas City trying to make its history mm. more well-known. Um, and there's um, some students who are working on projects. And I didn't know if you guys were involved in any way or not, if they'd come to see you about any of these. We have had many students from all kinds of schools, including Lincoln. And in fact, today you saw all of our volunteers from Lee A. Talbert Academy that come to the archives. Uh, we've had students from Lawrence come over and do research for papers that they're writing. Uh, we have that. We had a group called um, the Black Archives Roundtable. And every year, though, it's like uh, I used to teach in a community college. Mm -hmm. So every two years, you have a complete turnover of the student population. Right. So we're rebuilding that. We do have some volunteers who come down here and work so they can get their community service hours. And we're also, uh, as part of the Community Remembrance Project, connecting with Orly McKenzie, who is heading the children's, the young folks uh, version of that project to get our volunteers, the kids who come here, to be involved with that research and with that project. Okay. Uh, so what are some other projects you've done in the past or some that you want to do in the future? Oh, my goodness. Um, thousands, thousands. <laughs> you know, there is so much to be done, and we're also an educational institute. So we want to, we're bringing in, we are bringing in exhibitions that somehow have an educational component to it. Uh, like this weekend is the Women's Basketball Association. And before Lightning Mitchell showed up in my office, I didn't realize that there was a Women's Basketball Association before the WNBA. Those women need to be honored. And their work and their commitment to uh, women's basketball 
uh, needs to be acknowledged. So that's what we're doing here. We installed last night. We had a VIP reception and installed the uh, exhibit. And it's a permanent exhibit. It will always be okay. here. Um, and then today we're going to show, if I can get that machine to work, uh, their documentary. And then some of the women who played basketball will be here on a panel to talk about that experience. And then it's open to the public. Anybody can come and see this exhibition. Uh, I'm also um, working hard with, with the crew here to open up a coffee shop because I want people to be able to come in, get some coffee, go to our gift shop that we're opening in a week or two, and sit and have meetings and drink coffee and absorb this amazing atmosphere. We have art, we have we have exhibits, we have everything here that stimulates that artistic part that people have and sometimes let lie dormant. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we think that we'll do that. We're also you're putting in the lynching exhibition uh, with 80 jars of soil from lynching victims. And that will also be a permanent exhibit? That's a permanent exhibit. And we have a young man, Charlie Swayze, who is doing the mural for that exhibition. Mm -hmm. He's okay. a student at the Kansas City Art Institute. And so he's going to draw, uh, create this mur mural of a lynching project. We're working with Stinson McClendon and Rodney Thompson to get a hologram for that area so that the first jar of soil we got was from Erasmus Brown and we want him to tell his story. We know he was on his way to the pharmacy to get some medicine for his four-year-old daughter who was very sick. Something happened across town. They got him for it, of mm -hmm. course. Now, we've seen that dozens of times where lone black men mm -hmm. have been charged for something that they couldn't have been involved with. And uh, they lynched him and murdered him. We also know that his daughter died because she didn't get the medicine. So we want those stories to be told and those people to be brought out of anonymity. We also are having an exhibition next year um, for Reverend Nelson Fuzzy Thompson, who was instrumental not just as a minister, but also as a civil rights worker mm -hmm. in, this, in this city. So we're going to do that um, um, for um, um, Threet, Jim I. Threet, who was in City Hall and was really instrumental in helping black folk to establish businesses and those kinds of things in Kansas City. We want to honor him. Mm -hmm. So um, one of our main goals is to pull those people out of anonymity so that they get some kind of permanent recognition here and also is to inform our, our communities and and we have multiple communities here and to make sure that they're informed of what's going on and who were the people who actually were the boots on the ground to mm -hmm. making black life in Kansas City. Uh, the research that I've done so far has, seems to be a lot of firsts for African Americans here mm -hmm. in the city like uh, Sir Rector, one of the first billionaires, um, I can't think of his name, the guy who owned the first car dealership. Mm -hmm. um, Let me tell you something that's fascinated me since last night. I just discovered this. <laughs> okay. Every day I'm learning something new. You mentioned Sarah Rector. Mm -hmm. Sarah Rector's granddaughter, also named Sarah, was inducted into our Hall of Fame last night. Really? So Sarah Rector and her granddaughter are both enshrined at the Black Archives in Mid-America. That so gives cool. me chills. Yeah. 
That what did the granddaughter do? She played in the Women's Basketball Association. Okay. Very so cool. So when we installed that exhibition, there she was, <laughs> right on a... And she said Sarah Rector was her grandmother, and I just really got chills. I'm like, wow. Mm -hmm. So Sarah Rector and her granddaughter, and she was excited about that, are both at the Black Archives. That's awesome. That is incredible. Yeah. They're the first. <laughs> That's the first granddaughter-grandmother pair we have that I know of. I'm sure there'll be more to come. Oh, I'm sure. People are doing great work all over the place. And, um, and we just need to find out who they are, acknowledge their work, and bring them here. Mm -hmm. Bring them here. Yeah, I would love that. I think that was all the questions I had. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about or tell us about? Well, uh, just that we're doing some major fundraising. We're a nonprofit, but that doesn't mean that we can operate without money. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've had Casey Athenaeum gave us uh, $10,000 to go towards the lynching, the community remembrance project, the lynching project. I still need $26,000 more for that. <laughs> okay. uh, then I want to uh, establish other uh, installations and programs, um, and I want to pay staff. <laughs> so, uh, you know, any support that the Black Archives can get would be more than appreciated. And so, this if is the community. Listeners do want to support you. How do they go about that? They doing just that? go to www.blackarchives.org and there's a donate button. And you can even specify the when program. you donate. Yeah what you want that money to go to. Okay. Or you could just say organization building. <laughs> but either one, either way, you know, it works for us. But, and also, I want people to come. Since I have been here the last 15 months, we have had hundreds and hundreds, literally, of people who have come in and said, this is my first time in the building. And that makes me happy. Because I know if I can get you in once, I can get you in again. Mm -hmm. And every time I hear someone say, I never heard of the Black Archives until now, I get excited because, good, now go tell somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want. We want people to come in and see this magnificent place. The Black Archives is a big building, and it is full of history. It is a bigger building than I thought. Actually, you said it used to house sta uh, stables. Mm -hmm. Do you know if it was ever a school? Based on the layout, that was actually my first thought. Yeah. No, it was the maintenance building for the Parks Department. Okay. And when Emmanuel Cleaver was the mayor, a woman named Ruby Arnold, her her son, Anthony Arnold, was on our board. He just passed uh, two months ago. But um, Congressman Cleaver, then Mayor Cleaver, said that Ruby sat outside his office for 30 days straight. And every day he would say, no, Ruby, I don't have time. You have to make an appointment like everybody else. And then one day she just blocked the door and said, no, <laughs> you're going to talk to me today. Because if you don't get that building for us, for the Black Archives, before you leave office, we're not going to have it. And he knew she was right. So he was trying to acquire the building for us and realized that since the horses had been kept here, that there were a lot of environmental issues. Hmm. So he had to get all of that cleared up first. And then it took $5 million to renovate this building. Wow. So uh, the Ewing Marion Kaufman Foundation mm -hmm. gave a million dollars. That's why the name's on the sign over the exhibition hall. Uh, the Kemper, Crosby Kemper III, was responsible for raising 
another million dollars, and he got the the Kemper, the Kaufman money too. Mm-hmm. The city put in two and a half million, and private donors put in the rest. And now there's this beautiful edifice that you see. Nice. Yeah, and it doesn't smell like horses. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, though. I appreciate you so much coming here to do this podcast so that you can actually, you know, see this building and feel the spirits. And, oh, yeah. I'm and so glad I got to speak with you today. Uh, maybe uh, I'll come back and pick your brain again sometime. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Come back when you, anytime you want. Thank you. Well, listeners, that'll do it for today. Thank you for joining us. For more information on the Black Arts Archives, make sure you visit the website. Can you give us that www.blackarchives.org. Well, little did we know that very soon after that, the world would go into lockdown. And that just a few years after that, I would return to the archives. And this time, I'm not leaving. Anyways, like I said at the top of the show, I'm really excited to be at the archives. Dr. Karma is amazing. The Institute is wonderful. There's a lot there. They really bring a a well-needed service, or let me try that again. They provide a well-needed service to Kansas City and to the black community in Kansas City. So if you're from the area, if you are visiting, I hope you'll come by. Um, You won't be able to tour the archives, but you can um, visit the exhibit space on the first floor. I hope you will consider becoming a financial supporter of the show. There are several ways you can do so. You can subscribe to patreon.com slash homegrownkc or redcircle.com slash homegrownkc or you can give a one-time donation at redcircle.com slash homegrownkc or at coffee.com slash homegrownkc. You can also give me stars on Facebook now, which apparently equals money. Not entirely sure how that works yet, but we'll figure it out. You can give as little or as much as you want, even as little as $1 a month. Once you sign up and become a patron, you'll be charged on that day and then on the first of every following month. If you become a patron supporter, you get three things. First, an item from the merchandise store valued at $5 or less. Two, a shout out on every episode and social media posts. So thank you, Joan and Bjorn, for your continued support. And you also get access to exclusive bonus content featuring other local historians, archivists, and museum curators, like this episode. Everyone who simply donates receives a shout-out on the next available episode, but you do not get any bonus content and you do not get anything from the merchandise store. Additionally, if you give a donation on coffee, 1% automatically goes to help fight climate change. Again, that's ko-fi.com. If you cannot support me monetarily, which I understand, you can still support me by liking, following, and subscribing to my social media pages. That's Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and Tumblr. Also have a YouTube channel. Make sure you rate and review me wherever you listen, but especially on Apple Podcasts. You can visit my website for additional information on every topic. That's homegrownkc.wordpress.com. It is also the only place where you can sign up for my newsletter. Once a month, you'll get an email that says, here's what's coming up with the museum. Here's what you can look forward to. It's just a good way to stay up to date. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or episode suggestions, you can email me at homegrownkcpodcast at gmail.com, or you can send me a DM on any of my social media networks. Also, 
real quick, I want to give a shout out to everyone who's been commenting lately on the website. Um, I've had a lot of folks make comments on the website saying, I love your content, this is well written, thanks so much, please continue, and it just warms my heart. Thank you. If you are interested in supporting the show by buying some cool swag, go to www.zazzle.com slash store slash homegrown KC. Correction, homegrown underscore KC underscore store. Again, that's Z-A-Z-Z-L-E dot com slash store slash homegrown underscore KC underscore store. Thank you goes out to my talented sister-in-law, Sarah Combs, as always, for the creation of my logo. To the dear Mrs. for the use of their song, Kansas City, as the intro natural music of every episode. And to local libraries, which enabled me together on my research. Thank you for listening. Cheers.